Really, what I want to speak to you about here this morning is an absolute essential element uh, to being exalted by the Lord. We're going to be looking at James chapter 4 and verse number 6. Here, the scripture says, James writes to these scattered believers, these scattered Jews, and he says this, but he, that's God, giveth more grace. If you haven't caught it by now, one of the things that's absolutely a core central passion of BCM, of Falls Baptist Church, of our ministries here is to help you understand the unbelievable, supernatural, life-changing, world-upsetting grace of our God. God's grace is His supernatural interaction on our behalf. It's him intervening on our behalf and taking us weak, incapable, twisted up, backwards, um, just complete, um, total failures of Christians. That's what we are. That's what you are. That's what I am. And it's God stepping into our lives and enabling us to be what God wants us to be and to do what God wants us to do. One of the things you're going to learn, freshmen in Netcasters, is how absolutely essential God's grace and God's enablement is for you to reach the world with a gospel. In the prayer class, you're going to learn the lifeline of what it means to kneel before the throne of God and take God's grace to help you as you face impossibilities, as you get into the nine-week block, you're going to be faced with your own self, with your own weakness. Listen, I'll be honest with you, the start of the school year, we ease you into things academically, okay? If you think things are hard right now, just wait till the nine-week block when you're juggling three classes at a time plus more. Um, But really what we're trying to help you understand is that you cannot achieve what God has called you to achieve. And throughout the year and really throughout your experience, we want you to know your weakness so that you can look for God's supernatural strength. And if you leave BCM, having just learned what you are capable of, we have failed you as an institution. If you leave your time at BCM just merely being a polished, equipped, and excellent soldier of the cross, you have not learned the core lesson that we're burdened for you to learn here at BCM. Because if you leave here being a better Christian, a more capable Christian, if you leave here being a more solid, full of character, disciplined Christian, you have not understood the grace of Almighty God. Because the fact of the matter is what God has called us to do is absolutely impossible without His supernatural, omnipotent intervention in our lives. And God says right here in this verse, He giveth more grace. I want you to know as this school year continues and as you continue to find yourself faced with your own selfishness in the dorm, as you find yourself confronted with instruction from your leaders, from your room leaders, from your fellowship officers, from the dean staff, I want you to know every dead end you find yourself in, every brick wall you find yourself flattening yourself, your faces into is an opportunity for you to experience 
God's unbelievable strength on your behalf in and through your lives. He says here, he giveth more grace, but he gives us a principle and a law that helps us learn how to receive and benefit from his grace. He says, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. What I want to speak to you about here this morning is something that I trust will frame how you respond, not only to the preaching that you've heard this week, but this will, I trust this will frame how you respond throughout this year to the word of God, to the instruction of those that God has placed into your life, to God's direct interaction with you. Throughout this school year, I want to speak to you about the law of humility. Let's pray. God in heaven, I do ask that as we dive into this law and this principle, God, I just declare my own weakness. I can't preach this like I ought to. I need you, God, to um, help my mind, to help my tongue. But Lord, more than I want to present this in a way that's clearly, I need your supernatural grace in my life right now. And God, I take it. I can't preach this as I ought to, but you can. And I ask once again, and as I've asked so many times, would you please fill me with the Holy Ghost? Lord, I ask that you would give me the anointing and unction to preach in such a way, not just that these young people would get challenging thoughts or helpful instruction, but in such a way that will truly change their hearts and their minds as you, Spirit of God, speak through me. Lord, I can't change their hearts but you can. I pray, Lord, you would illumine truth in a way that changes, that's a, perhaps even a paradigm shift for some here in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I learned this law a number of years ago um, in kind of a unique way. Um, my family and I, in 2015, we were traveling, doing the war. We had two great guys uh, with us, and we found ourselves in Covington, Georgia one day. And uh, while we were there, um, my wife was asked by Pastor Ingram to speak to some kind of ladies' jubilee. I frankly don't even know what that is still to this day. But my wife asked, or uh, Pastor Ingram asked my wife to speak at it. And it was kind of an unusual schedule. Uh, typically, we arrive like on a Tuesday and uh, we get all settled in. And we'd arrived there on a Tuesday. And uh, my wife was pretty much, from the moment we arrived, whisked away to speak at this special ladies' meeting. And she said to me, you've got the kids need you to take care of supper. And so um, I thought, oh, that's no problem. We'll find some place nearby to eat. And so um, I loaded the kids up in the truck and uh, the guys, uh, my two guys with me, they followed me and we decided to go uh, to a Burger King. I don't know what it is about Burger King. Every time I eat at Burger King, I hate it. Absolutely despise it. And I don't know why a couple years go by and I end up thinking there's no way it can be as bad as I remember it to be. And then I go and I remember, yeah, it is as bad as I thought it was. I'm not sure what it is. I don't know if it's just I don't like burnt burgers and that flame broiled or I don't know if it's some kind of additive they put it. I don't know what it is. I just don't like the taste of the burgers. But there that day, the closest thing and um, some of you from Covington probably know the Burger King that I'm talking about uh, connected to the gas station thing there. And so we went we went down there to that Burger King. And um, I had at that time two children, David and Eva. Let's see, 2013, David would have been three-ish. Eva would have been one to two, somewhere in that range. And um, we went in and I decided, okay, we are going to order chicken fries 
for David. That's just a weird concept. Chicken fries. I, anyway, we ordered those for David. I got myself a burger, got some stuff for the guys. Now, okay, there's something you got to understand about my son at that period of time, David. Um, every kid I know goes through this stage, and that's the stage where they don't like to eat. I don't know if any of you have little siblings that have gone through that stage. I don't know if any of you are still in that stage. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but um, there that day, we, that's something we've been working with David on as a family. And uh, my wife primarily had been the one who, you know, we did all kinds of things. You know, uh, we, we did encouragements, we did incentives, we did timers and all kinds of stuff like that just to try to get him to eat in a timely manner. And, and I'll be honest with you, as a husband, sometimes I, I can really think, you know, I'm watching my wife working with my son on this. And sometimes as a husband, you can think, you know what, I could do it better than that. And so there that day, as we were there in the, um, in, in the Burger King, my guys were with me and they were real fun loving guys. They really had, we had a great time together as a party all tour long. And I remember we were sitting down and David had these chicken fries here. And I thought, I'm going to show my wife how this is done. I know she's not here, but I am going to do this in such a way that David not only eats all of his food, but I'm going to do it in such a way that he finishes it in a timely manner. I'm daddy. I'm the creative guy. I can figure this out with my son. And I'm thinking, I'm going to show her how this is done. So we sat down, David had this little thing of chicken fries, and I remember telling David, all right, David, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to set a timer, and we are going to provide the motivation for you. And I thought, we'll make it a little bit of a game here, we'll have a little bit of fun, and so we sat the chicken fries in front of him, and you know, at first he wasn't really doing it, but I and the guys, we really started to get into it. We started, come on, David, you can do this, David, you got this, David, and David's looking around like, ah, this is kind of fun, and he started eating them, but you know, three-year-olds, you know, they take take a long time to chew. And, and we were like, come on, David, chew. You can do this. Now you got to understand also my son, David, he was all about Thomas, the tank engine at that time in his life. Like trains were the epitome of pleasure and existence to him. And so as we're talking, you know, we're looking at each other and we're saying, chew, 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 like a train, chew, 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 like a train. And he is man starting to get into this. He's taking fistfuls of chicken fries. He's shoving them in his mouth. And I'm looking at my, I had a timer set, right? And I'm looking at the timer and I'm thinking, David, you are doing so well. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to up the ante just a little bit. And I said, David, we got two minutes left on your timer. I'll tell you what, daddy's going to make a deal with you. If you finish the timer with one minute to spare. If you finish all of your chicken fries with one minute to spare, I'll buy you a dessert. And David was like, yeah, his eyes got wide. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, Abby, you just got to know how to play the system. That's what I'm thinking. And David and all of us, we're now, the guys are standing at their feet around the little booth there. And we're all like in his face, chew, chew, chew like a train, chew, chew, chew like a train. And he's shoving those chicken fries into his face. And we've got just like a couple fries. And, you know, he's practically shoving them into his mouth, trying to fit them all in. And he finished 
right before the one minute mark hit. And I was so excited. I was a little, I frankly was proud as a peacock. I'm thinking, man, Abby, you just, you just got to know how this works. I stood up from the table victorious and I walked up to the front counter, waited in line to order him a little slice of pie. I ordered him a little Reese's pie, a little pie slice there. And I remember I was feeling like, oh yeah, I'm going to go home and tell Abby that I've got this all figured out. Well, I turn around and I look over towards the booth and all I saw was one of my guys, Matt Thrower. Some of you know him. He had a look of shock and horror all over his face. And I thought, what's this? And I walked over just a little bit closer and I saw a pool won't say what it was a pool of at the moment, but I will say this. Matt, apparently, when I turned around to go order the pie, he picked up my son under the arm, sat him on the table right in front of him and said, David, you did a good job. David looked at him and went. (laughs) All down the front of Matt. And I think Matt probably just threw him over onto the side of the booth. And David just kept retching, kept going. And there was a, it was one of those plastic booths. There was a pool in the plastic of partially processed chicken fries. And I remember looking at that thinking, oh, oh no, what in the world? I remember I grabbed David. I picked him up. I didn't know what to do. And I just ran to the bathroom. And I thought, well, I'll get some paper towels or something and I'll kind of wipe them off. And in the bathroom, David's standing there. He's covered from like his neck all the way down to his shoes. His shoes are covered. Pants, his shirt is covered. And I'm thinking, oh no, we gotta, I don't want to get this all over the car. So I just, David, put your hands up, pull the shirt off. All right, David. Boom. Pull his pants down, pull the shoes off. And my son is standing there in the bathroom. I'm sorry to say this in his skivvies. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, how do I get out of here? <laughs> this is not going to look good. <laughs> so I just took David's clothes and I balled him up in a way I wouldn't get the stuff. And I picked David up under my arm and I literally ran straight out the door into the parking lot, opened up the door to the truck, chucked him in his car seat, closed the door, looked around. I do not even want to think of what people were thinking I was doing. I have no idea. But I remember the guys, they eventually got stuff cleaned up. They brought Eva. We got her buckled in. And I remember I started up the truck. I put it in drive. And just as we're about to pull out of the parking space, I hear this little voice from the back saying, can I have my dessert now? Well, I had a funny story to tell my wife when I got back, but you know, I learned, I learned two lessons there that day, two lessons. I learned that what goes down must come up. That's more the funny lesson that I learned, but the real serious lesson, you know, I was pretty proud as a peacock there in that moment. Kind of thought I had it all figured out and I was going to show everybody how I had had it figured out. God had a real good way there that day of teaching me the lesson that what goes up must come down. Here in this passage, while that's a funny story, an illustration perhaps of this concept, it's really not funny at all when believers lift themselves up in pride and God has to resist them. 
Um, I want to begin by defining just a couple of things here. What is pride anyway? There's a lot of ways that you could define pride, but for my purposes here today, I want to define it this way. Pride is the exaltation of self above God. And here, according to this verse, what this verse is saying is that when you or I, when we lift ourselves, when we exalt ourselves above God, it says specifically that God resists us. God places himself in a position that is antithetical to us. He, he plays against us. Ultimately, it's for our good, and yet this is how God operates. When we, when we exalt our desires above God's, He resists us. When we exalt our preferences above God's, He resists us. When we exalt our perspective above God's, He resists us. When we exalt our importance above God, He resists us. When we exalt our plans above God, He resists us. When we exalt our own human limited discernment above God, He resists us. But I want you to know the whole point of this verse is a positive one. He wants us to understand that there's more grace. There's grace more than any barrier you could ever face. There's God's enablement more than any weakness you could ever have. But here's the thing. If we find ourselves in pride, exalting ourselves above our God, you won't find an ounce of God's enabling grace in your life because God resists the proud. The good news here in this verse is the last part of the verse, but he gives grace unto the humble. What's humility? Like I said, there are whole books that have been written on this one word and concept, but if I could summarize it this way. Humility is the exaltation of God above self. You see, when we exalt ourselves in pride, when we lift ourselves up above God, whether that's in our desires, preferences, perspectives, importance, plans, or discernments, God resists us. But when we, and again, I think a lot of times when we think of humility, we think of lowering ourselves. But I think it's really the idea of exalting God above ourselves. The end result is the same in that we are under God. In importance, we are under God in our um, right to call the shots. But the, the point is this, it's putting God above you. And when we exalt God above self, the promise in this verse is that he gives grace unto those who know that they need it. So a couple things that I want to I want to say here, and I just want to apply this here to our week. There's a whole lot that I could say. There's so much in the context. I've preached whole sermons. Some of you've heard me on the first part of this chapter. Again, the first part of this chapter is that many times we live according to our desires. We pursue pleasure, that which we want, that which makes us happy instead of pursuing God. And really, I just want you to see this when the whole purpose of our lives and the pursuit of our souls is to get what makes us us happy. Do you see how that is placing self above God? 
When we seek to find satisfaction in the world instead of in our God, that is two-timing it on God. That is spiritual adultery against God. Instead of valuing God and our relationship to Him, we instead value that which brings us pleasure and that which makes us happy. And again, verse number five says, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. He wants you and he wants all of you. And that's why he says here in this verse, listen, I want you to know that if you find yourself resisting God, if you find yourself exalting self above God, God will resist you because God wants every single nook and cranny of your heart to be his and his alone. You see, when we think that we know better than God, We're exalting self above God. Here's why I say that in the context of this week. You've heard a lot of very specific application here this week, whether it's on what's in your closet, whether it's on matters of media, whether it's in music. And I want you to know, some of you may come from a situation that's very different than that. Perhaps some of you came from a background where maybe what he talked about last night when it comes to soulish music, music that maybe makes you cry, music maybe that makes you happy, music perhaps that, you know, is heartwarming music if some have said, and yet, frankly, don't stir your spirit. And I'm not going to get into all that, and I encourage you to talk to the right people around here about that, but I'm just saying this to say some of you might find yourself coming from a setting where there is music that is used that might be different than the kind of music that we use here. Can I challenge you with something? Have a humble heart. Don't exalt your preferences to the point that you are unteachable. Let let me me tell you why I say this. When I first came here to BCM, um, you got to understand something about my background. I, I grew up in a very conservative church, Um, very, very conservative, even musically, maybe even a little bit more conservative than here, believe it or not. However, as a teenager, um, I was a complete addict to rock music, all different kinds of rock music. And uh, that was back in the days of Napster, when you could download free MP3s and pirate all kinds of music. And I was a pirate. Arr, okay? And uh, I had all kinds of music and all kinds of just frankly, completely wicked and worldly music that I listened to. Around when I was 16, God began to do just a great work in my heart and began to pitch all of this ungodly, wicked, worldly music out of my life. And my mom began to introduce me to some um, mainstream, independent, Baptist, fundamental music. And I began to listen to this stuff. And this, this was the stuff that I came off of rock music onto. And to be perfectly honest with you, it was a great step in the right direction. It was a huge step in the right direction. And I remember there were all kinds of songs and albums and artists that I really, really enjoyed that I thought, man, this is good. This seemed to, you know, stir me. It made me emotional about the things of God. And I just loved it. And I remember I came to BCM and I frankly don't have a clue how they do it nowadays. 
but most of my music didn't check. And I remember getting mad about it at first. I remember thinking, what in the world's wrong with, and I'm not going to mention any specific people, but I remember thinking, what in the world's wrong with, this is the stuff I came off of rock music onto, what in the world? And I remember I had one of my room leaders. He confronted me and he said, your attitude stinks, Bobby. He said, your attitude stinks, and frankly, if you keep up that attitude, you're not going to get anything out of your education here. And I remember there at that time, though I didn't understand, and though at that moment in time, I, I didn't even really like it, I remember I made a choice to humble myself. And to be perfectly honest with you, I probably went a year or two not even understanding why. All I was exposed to was music that was unquestionably godly, that was unquestionably wholesome, that had not a trace of the world in its various elements and aspects and the way music is done. And God began to give me a discernment through a lack of exposure to that which appealed to my flesh. Later on, I did have opportunities to sit down with certain individuals and talk about some of the specific things that were done, some of the specific ways of writing a melody or specific, again, my, my mind is failing just on even the words. You can tell I'm not necessarily a music guy, but somebody did sit down with me and talk about some of the specifics. But here's the thing that I want you to understand. I was able to receive instruction because instead of bristling, I humbled myself and I figured that if God led me here, he had something he wanted me to learn here. If God led me to this institution, I figured that God was going to use certain key individuals in this institution to help me in my discernment, to help me in my understanding of a variety of these different issues. Oh, there are all kinds of things that I could tell you. Man, listen, in my youth group back home, I was known as, in fact, one time we did this poll for all of our, our teens in our youth group at, at my church that I grew up in, in New Jersey. And um, they, they're one of the items in this poll was a poll about everybody else in the youth group, real dangerous thing to do. But everybody had to give like a one word summary of the other people in the youth group. And the one word summary from everyone about me was a flirt. That was me. It really was me as a teenager. I came to BCM. I had no idea what they believed about guy-girl relationships. No idea at all. And so shortly into the school year, there were some girls that I thought they were kind of fun to hang around. And so, you know, I began to just do what I normally do. And yeah, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> Found myself in the dean's office a couple times and uh, found myself getting talked to by some dorm supervisors. And, you know, I had a variety of reasons why I had some hangups about that at the beginning. And to be honest with you, when I was, and as I know some of you are going to get exposed to the courtship seminar, when I heard that kind of material being presented, I really wanted to understand what the viewpoint of the school was. But I'll be perfectly honest with you, I didn't buy it at first. I didn't buy it at first. I had reasons why. One of the reasons why was that my parents had said, 
we're not doing that. It's stupid. Direct quote. Sorry. Um, even my pastor back home had some misconceptions about what courtship actually was. They weren't really what it was, but he had misconceptions. And I found myself in a very difficult situation in a challenge where really one of the key, key aspects, and again, you're going to learn this, is that your parents are placed in your life by God to help you in this matter. And I felt like, well, my parents aren't really on board with it. How in the world is this ever going to work? And I remember throughout my time at BCM, really struggling the first couple years, particularly with flirtation, with believing that God could lead me to the right one at the right time without my manipulation, without me, you know, putting my finger on the scale and just sort of making it happen on my own. I struggled with that. And there were a couple things that helped me out tremendously. One of them was a study that I personally did in homiletics class on 1 Thessalonians 4. Studied that passage out and I realized, you know what? What's being taught here isn't just some institutional quirk. It's Bible. And I remember in my heart, God bringing to the point where I said, you know what? I need to listen. I need to be teachable in this matter. I wanted to learn, but frankly, I struggled because I didn't see it. I struggled because I didn't understand. And you know what was my big hang-up? My big hang-up was my perspective. You know what, young people? Some of you think you know how everything works. Some of you think you've got it all figured out. That's why they call sophomores wise fools. That's what that word means. Well, listen, some of you, maybe you come from a background where things are done a little bit differently than here, and you could come into BCM thinking, oh no, we do it right back home. Oh yeah, we got it all figured out back there. Can I challenge you? I'm not saying that we here have it all figured out. But what I am saying, I heard you freshmen in your testimonies the other day say that you believe that God told you to come here. And I have to say, that's awesome. Listen, the day BCM students come in here because it's a huge, awesome campus and because we're the ones with a water slide or whatever it is, which that'd be fun in Wisconsin, right? Um, <clears throat> the moment students start coming here purely because of the human offerings is the day I fear that we are on the decline. But frankly, the fact that some of you here in this room had a struggle the fact that some of you here in this room, maybe it was the time issue and you thought maybe it was a year from now and God said, no, I want you to go and I want you to go this fall. And you took a, a step of obedience and yielding to the Lord in yielding your plan, yielding the way you thought it was going to look to bow the knee to God and to do what he said he wanted. I want you to know God has you here for a reason. And that reason is, yes, to learn how to surrender to him, but also to learn from the input that God has placed in your life. Listen, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. The dean's staff is going to get it wrong sometimes. Pastor's going to get it wrong sometimes. We are not infallible people, but here's the thing. God is so big that he can lead you to a place full of imperfect people that don't necessarily know everything there is to know. And God can use those imperfect people to help move you forward towards God's plan for your life. But here's the thing. If you come into it and bristle, and if you come into it in your heart, think, he's going to tell me how to address when I'm home. Psh, 
Nobody's going to tell me what kind of music I listen to when I'm out from underneath the authority of the school. Nobody's going to tell me what channels I can or can't watch on YouTube when I'm out of here. Y'all are leaky tires. Listen, you won't benefit a bit. You know, <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, is that you are here not because this institution is perfect. You are here because God wants you to benefit from this imperfect institution. Listen, if you travel with me one day, which I hope some of you will, okay, you will learn, as Ryan did this summer, that I'm an imperfect man, okay, as all my team. Listen, they saw me have my moments. They saw me get frustrated with them. They saw me get upset at my kids from time to time. They saw me probably at some moments make a step of unbelief. They saw me, I, I, listen, I don't know all these, ask them, maybe don't ask them, but... <laughs> But listen, but every one of them knew that God led them to travel on the team and every one of them benefited greatly from their time on the road. See, it's really a very dumb thing. Can I say you're really stupid if you bow the knee to God to come here and then set your perspective in such a way that you don't benefit from anything we're trying to teach you here. That's kind of dumb, isn't it? Did that make sense? Why in the world would you sacrifice one, two, four years, whatever God leads you to do here, of your life to come here and to spend a bunch of money on tuition and room and board or whatever you're doing just so that you here can get mad at everything people tell you to do? kind of dumb. Listen, God resists the proud. I don't know about you, but when I was in school, I didn't want God to resist me. I wanted God to lift me up by his grace, prepare me, equip me, and train me to be all that God wanted me to be. It was while I was here in this school that God gave me a vision that he could use me to bring thousands of people to Jesus Christ, not just a few. Not just a couple hundred, but thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that kind of thing doesn't happen without the grace of God. God here in this place gave me a vision that there was no habit, no sin pattern in my life that God couldn't overcome. God showed me that it didn't matter how much the thought pattern of flirtation was ingrained in my mind. God's grace was more than enough to overcome it. God, during here, taught me that I didn't have to be addicted to music that fed my flesh. I could listen to music that honored and glorified God. And God could even use me in that kind of music around, around the world and the country. But I want you to know that you will not benefit a bit if you're not willing to humble yourself under God and those that God has put in your life. You know, young people, you look at this passage and there's so much more that I could say, but I don't have time and I don't think necessarily the Lord wants me to, but just look down through these commands in verses 7, 8, and 9. It says we're supposed to submit ourselves to God. We're supposed to resist the devil. 
We're supposed to draw nigh to God. We're supposed to cleanse our hands. We're supposed to purify our hearts. We're supposed to be afflicted and mourn over our sin. And he says here on both sides, both in verse 6, that God resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. And then down in verse 10, he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Listen, the important thing is not that you necessarily understand every nitty-gritty detail of what's been presented over these last several days. You're going to learn, you're going to grow as you have an open heart. But the important thing is not to bristle in pride, but instead, in humility, recognize, God, you know better than me. And you've placed these people in my life not to hurt me, but to help me. And therefore, I want to place myself under you and those placed in my life. Listen, if you submit yourself to God, if you humble yourself in the sight of God, listen, there's more than enough grace to enable you to turn the world upside down with the gospel.